Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My next guest is Asaph Ferg. Ferg grew up in Harlem's Hamilton Heights. He calls it the Hungry Ham. He established himself as one of the best MCs in the New York hip-hop collective ASAP Mob. In 2013, he released his first solo album, Trap Lord, and included the hit single Shaba, which hit number seven on the Billboard Hot 100. Since then, Ferg has crafted a voice that is entirely unique and separate from the ASAP Mob. He's worked with a bunch of different artists, including Haim, Bone Thugs in Harmony, Missy Elliott, and others. Ferg's songs also touch on all kinds of genres, from trap to house to dubstep to soul. When we talked in 2017, Ferg was out promoting a mixtape called Still Striving. Here's a single from that, Tango. Yeah. Just found out my daddy died for the wrong reasons Wasn't the kidney that took him, it was the bad treatment Ain't go to court because our heart was still bleeding Family grieving, no money could fix the pain that we feeling Little nice to leveled up, you wouldn't believe it And my mama always reflect when I was younger teething That was gold grills glistening every time Hey Sapferg, welcome to Bullseye, thanks for being on the show Hey, what's up man, thanks for having me Can you tell me a little bit about the neighborhood in Harlem that you grew up in? 143rd in Amsterdam, between Amsterdam and Broadway, we call it the Hungry Ham. Um, it was a bit crazy at times. Uh, 144th was just wild. My mother would never let me walk through that block to go to the store uh, for nothing. Uh, gunshots all the time. Um, cars with no wheels on them. Uh, crackheads up and down the street. Um, 143rd, my block, it, it was... It was a lot like a small community of people that like we fought together, we played together, we uh ate together, you know, some robbed together, some sold drugs together. And uh you know that that was hungry ham. Yeah, that's that is hungry ham. <laughs> it's crazy how it breaks down to the block. Yeah. Like that you can tell me, oh, 143rd was like this, 144th was like this. Hungry Ham is a, sp- a span of from, say, 140 f- 144th all the way to like, like 140th. But it's all like broken up into sections. Like you have 140th, they consider themselves like the 40th boys. You know, like you got, oh, 143rd, that's really like Hungry Ham, like my block. Then 144th, they got their own thing going on and then like, on and on and on and so forth. So, like, but all together, we are, like, you know, we all kind of, it's like a small village of people that's on a hill because we are far away from everybody else. Did you leave when you were a kid? I mean, did you? No, I didn't leave. I stayed. I stayed uh, all the way up until I got my deal. I mean, did you leave? Oh, did I leave the block to, like, go play or yeah. hang out other places? Yeah, I was always... um you know, spontaneous and curious about, like, other places and other hoods. Like, I wanted to go hang out on other people's blocks because they had more girls on their blocks. And 
you know, things is more fluent over there. Like we'll get we'll we'll get hip to everything late because we're on the hill. And you know, my dad and my uncle and my and my father's part of the family was from down the hill, Seventh Avenue, Eighth Avenue. So I used to go down there with my dad. He had a store called Ferg Apparel on One Forty Fifth between Seventh and Eighth. I always seen more things and more traffic and and more excitement and events and cookouts happening down the hill. So. I, I always left to go, like, hang out with my dad and his friends and, you know, be around with my other family, my other side of the family. So you went to the High School of Art and Design. Rest at, in peace, Prodigy. He went to that school, too, Mob Deep. Yeah, we just found out that he passed Yeah, as we record this. Um, right. Was your idea that you were going to be a designer like your dad? No, I wasn't trying to be like my dad. It was just something natural to me, something that I always was into. I actually seen a, a Selena movie. Well, it's Selena's movie, the only movie. And um, what inspired me to, to start drawing clothes was when I seen her sketch out, like, a, a dress or something like that. Or I think it was she was opening, like, a um, a boutique, a clothing boutique. And I was like, yo, I can do that. But it was like a mere thought. It wasn't, like, nothing crazy. Like, I seen the vision. Uh, it was just like, I could do that. And then I was just like, I started, like, trying. The first thing I drew was a dress. And I was like... This is like uncomfortable because I'm used to drawing like Dragon Ball Z, like characters and things like that on my desk, my notebooks. And um, I started like saying, man, I'm going to draw things that I could wear. So I started drawing like T-shirts, jackets, jeans and like, yeah, I just started like designing things at a young age. The first thing I drew was like a dog, though. It was like in my father's car, and he gave me like a bunch of pens and highlighters and like one marker because I was like sitting in the car bored. He was in a barbershop with his friends, and um, he came. I was I was asleep for a long time, and I woke up. When I woke up, he gave me the pen and in the in the book. I started drawing, and then I made all his friends sign it. He's like, "Yo, D, this look real. This is dope. This is this looks good." And then I just kept drawing after that. Like it's always been my thing. Was part of the idea of going to the art and design high school not going to the neighborhood high school? I I mentioned that only because I went to arts high school. Yeah. The reason I went to arts high school was because I was not trying to be going to the to the ghetto high school, high school. <laughs> <laughs> by my house. Uh, <laughs> was a mess. My parents always try to present the best opportunities possible. So I was the kid like going to Fresh Air Fun every year, and Fresh Air Fun. Those who don't know what it is, it's like sleep away camp but you go sleep at these like different people houses like I, I went to go stay with the McCalls that's like this white family that lives in Butler Pennsylvania and you know they just show you a different way of living you swimming in the creek like uh you you uh wait literally swimming in a creek yeah, like for real there was a creek there and you swam in yeah, it yeah you swimming in a creek you wake up you see dares outside your house uh, you see um, squirrel bones and stuff from the cats that's hunting on the porch. We drinking milk every night. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? For dinner. <laughs> We're not allowed to drink soda pop. You know, we eating deer burgers. We going to church. It's like a real different way of living. We going to drive throughs You know what I'm saying? Um, and it's a lot of land. It's a lot of land. You know, do you still know the McCalls of, what was it, Butler, Pennsylvania? Yeah, I just visit them, like, on this tour. They actually, I, I didn't see them for years, and I actually went over to their house. 
What was it like to go back there? Oh, man, it brought back so much memories because I, I went there for like four years in a row straight, like for two weeks at a time. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, and each time I go there, it's just like a new experience. And it was more free. Like, I mean, I'm a city kid. Like, I never experienced going hunting, like groundhog hunting or you know, going to a drive through where, you know, you had to dial in on your radio to, like, listen to the actual audio of the movie that you're watching on a projector with all of these cars and, like, a vibe that's on the grass. So all of that's just, you know, it was different for me. And, but that just goes to show you where my mom, my mom mind was because I'm, I'm her only son. So to let me go at the age nine, you know, to a complete... She didn't even meet these people, you know. She only spoke to them on the phone. She's just like, man, I want him to see things. I want him to travel and have an open mind towards things. So um, I forgot what question you had asked me what led to this, but yeah. Uh, when you went to art school uh, for college, right? You you went to a couple years of college. Oh, yeah, you were saying about uh, yeah. what made me go to um, a different high school. Yeah. Yeah, that, you know, that that was the reason why, because my mother and my, my father was really into, like, you know, me seeing the world and just different things, so. Was high school wild? I mean, like, I I remember what the cafeteria was like at the arts high school I went to. What was, was your cafeteria like? It was something else. Well, for one thing, the cafeteria was not even really a cafeteria because our high school was built in, a like, an old abandoned school for special needs elementary school aged kids right. so like all the water fountains were like 18 inches off the ground and it was very sad mm. but anyway you know I mean it was like goth kids that were full on music video level production like I'm talking about full body latex dresses <laughs> my you school know? was the same way <laughs> right like I'm all that stuff right yeah like wearing black hoodies and it's like it's, it's like 30 degrees outside yeah, and Coming I mean, to like, people, black nails. plenty of folks making their own clothes. Exactly. You had, like, the gay kid over there. You had, like, the golf kids over here. You had, like, you know, the kids from Brooklyn that's over here that's trying to act gangster in the art school. Like, come on, we at art school. And then you got, like, the fresh Harlem kids that's over here that's with me. And then you have, like, <laughs> and you have, like, different shorties from Brooklyn, Queens, whatever, whatever. Everybody's talking to everybody. And uh, that's exactly how my lunch table was. Did you have bars in high school? Had bars. You want to hear? You want to hear old rap? Yeah, absolutely. I want to hear an old rap. I said, uh, they see Ferg rapping now. You want to do it too, rapping, but with a different style. You want to do it too. We roll like the two live crew do now. I tell my dudes, don't stop. Pop that and let me see him doodle brown. Cause he's scared, so he on this man, and this man's scared too, so he in his pants. But look, I got a girl, and she don't be playing. She cut like Diddy and making a band. But yo, I can't stand boys. That's why I carry a little deuce deuce, and it's louder than slam doors. And the whip, the transform, boom. I mean, they call it Luther because the van draws. So no matter how you put it, man, you gonna lose. And I'm a murky while your girl in the other room. And if she got the heater, I'm a sneaker like running shoes. Then put the hammer to her head like screw. And if you his crew, then too. Cause y'all walk around like y'all cool. When you said that you ain't rude, but I am. Now what the you gonna do? 
That's pretty good for a teenager. <laughs> now, I will say to an NPR audience, that verse you just ripped is going to sound like ship to shore communication. Like, beep, 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 beep. That's cool. Oh, you didn't, you didn't warn me. <laughs> you didn't we're warn me. all right. We're all right. We're well, not that, live. But, but so th- th- that. But were you hard like that? Yeah, I was. I mean, I come from a battling background, so right. it wasn't really about us really pulling out guns and, you know, really killing people. It was more like a horror film. Like, we wanted to be, like, the menace, like, the the, the craziest, say the craziest things to embarrass you in front of an audience, which was, like, our neighborhood. So I would go, I was a part of a crew called H-Team, which turned into Harlem Envy, where we would go to different blocks and battle different people. So we had to be very, very disrespectful because our tongues were swords. You know what I'm saying? We go in there and we, we got to represent. So I, I couldn't lose. So I'm like, yo, I got to say the most menacing things to embarrass this dude. So we we rapping real loud. We turning our backs on people while they're rapping. And like people was looking out the windows and it was just crazy. for the watch. Prezi plain Jane, yeah, McGinney Jane, rest in peace to my superior. Hermes, looking for the village in Liberia. TMZ taking pictures, causing my hysteria. Mama see me on BT and start tearing up. I'ma start killing, thinking how you get that tripe. I attended Harlem picnics when you risked your life. Uncle used to skim work, selling nicks at night. I was only eight years old, watching Nick at night. Uncle Psycho was in that bathroom bugging. Life to his butt, hope that he don't cut him. I want to ask you uh, something about particularly being a rapper and being from New York. So I feel like for a long time, from the early 90s for 10, 15 years afterward, to be a rapper from New York meant a particular thing. It meant that you had to be hard, right. basically, right? You had to you had to step, There was there was sort of, there were a broad variety of ways of being that, right? But that defined what New York was. It was snow on the ground and wearing Timberlands and a snorkel jacket and being hard and, right. you know, and I think you and ASAP Rocky and the rest of the ASAP crew, part of what was remarkable about your success at the beginning was introducing a new, basically, a new way to be from New York, right? You know, and I wonder if that was part of your goal. Well, it was definitely how we are, you know, in general. Like, I was always different. You know, Rocky was different in his way. Bari was always different in his way. You know, a lot of the ASAP Mob members is just, you know, we was just the outcast kind of. But we were still cool. Like, we was real popular. Like, you know, we was popular before we made music. So we just kind of took all of our difference, differences, you know, that people thought was different or just, you know, was like, oh, man, that's too different or, you know, scared. And we put them, we paired them together. We got real cool. Like all, each of you, each of you were uh, the, the like wild creative guy in your crew. Right. And you exactly. all said, let's Voltron this. Yeah, we Voltroned it. That's exactly what we did. And um, I always said, man, Kanye and his friends is cool. Imagine if the world seen my friends. I always said that, and um, we knew that we was doing, we was up to something because we came from the hood, and there wasn't no way that it, it wasn't other kids that was in the world that wasn't like us, that was from the hood, that was into art, into fashion, wanted to hang out at 
cool fashion parties and the artistic scenes and you know wanted to get crazy haircuts and wear skinny jeans and supreme tims you know like we was those guys like finding sample Margella sneakers at thrift shops and you know going we was really about that life so um we knew that we was we just when we was when we formed like Voltron like it just felt like we had a movement and you could see that movement in our first video. Um, me and Rocky shot uh, a, a video called Get High. And I was just like, yo, we got all of this stuff going on in New York and nobody sees it. We need to record the history. And um, I remember it was my birthday and we shot the video at my bro Jay West house. And uh, we, we invited everybody that was doing something in New York, the socialites and people that had clothing lines and this, that, and the third and invited them in a video to showcase their stuff. And um, it was a success because everybody, you know, started posting it. My biggest thing was like, man, if it make World Star without, without us paying to get it on there, then we lit. <laughs> and they did. They posted it in a couple blogs. I remember Mishka post, posting it and some uh, people from Supreme, I think, had posted it. Um, yeah, it was cool. I mean, if you can make World Star without getting drunk behind a club, <laughs> with no weaves being torn right then you know you've got it made <laughs> exactly right we wasn't even smoking weed in the video and the song is called get high and the reason why i told rocky i told rocky he was like man how we shooting a video we ain't got no weed in the video i was like man because I, I got i want this joint to play on tv so i was already thinking about it like man this is finna be blow up like you know at least give it some chance what surprised you about what it was like to be a success when you became a success? What didn't you expect? I didn't expect for it to be this hard to maintain your success, uh, maintain your vision, maintain your humble, your your your, your humility. Um, just maintain you as a person. People lose themselves with success. Um, I think Yams is a testament to that. You know, we could all look at Yams and be like, you know, we learned the lesson. And um, it happens to the best of us. It's not only people passing, but it's it's people that just can't, they can't have a conversation with people they grew up with anymore because they just can't relate no more. It's just like, you know, you get pulled in into this new world and it's just like everything that you stood for before doesn't matter anymore. And that's what I don't want success to come to for me. And that's why I always like remain humble. I travel with my uncle everywhere. Um, my cousin is my assistant. You know, I, it's like a family business, really. Even more with ASAP Ferg still to come. Stay with us. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Miami Book Fair. Online and streaming free and on demand. Robert Haas, Billy Collins, Dean Kuntz, Natasha Trethaway, Ben Okri, Jacob Soboroff, and 300 more fiction and nonfiction authors and poets discussing new books and the issues of our day. For adults, teenagers, and kids, streaming starts November 15th. Join the conversation. Sign up at miamibookfaironline.com. On the next episode of Louder Than a Riot. We dig into the crimes of GS9 
And look at how they affected one family in particular. He's making other people think that you can kill someone, then turn around, put it in the song, and blow up off of that. Listen now to Louder Than a Riot from NPR Music. Welcome back to Fireside Chat on KMAX. With me in studio to take your calls is the dopest duo on the West Coast, Oliver Wong and Morgan Rhodes. Go ahead, caller. Hey, uh, I'm looking for a music podcast that's insightful and thoughtful, but like also helps me discover artists and albums that I've never heard of. Yeah, man. Sounds like you need to listen to Heat Rocks every week. Myself and I'm Morgan Rhodes and my co-host here, Oliver Wong, talk to influential guests about a canonical album that has changed their lives. Guests like Moby, Open Mike Eagle, talk about albums by Prince, Joni Mitchell, and so much more. Yo, what's that show called again? Heat Rocks, deep dives into hot records. Every Thursday on Maximum Fun. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is rapper ASAP Ferg of the ASAP Mob. His latest record is called Floor Seats 2. It's out now. We talked in 2017. You mentioned ASAP Yams, who was sort of like a, I don't know, I mean, how, how would you describe what his role was in, in the crew? He was like a kind of manager, visionary, chronicler type of thing. I think Yams... And I and I thought about this a million times. I think Yams, because I think about purpose of life. I think Yams' purpose of life was he was a God sent angel who brought all of these collectives together, which is us, ASAP Mob, and that was his purpose to bring us together. And then I felt like when I think God took him back when once he achieved the mission of putting the whole ASAP mob together. That's my belief. He was definitely a visionaire. You you could even say prophet, I think. Like, he was like an angel. Like, he came and he was a vessel from God. Because honestly, if, if it wasn't for Yams, I don't know where I would be or what I would be doing. I know that, I, like, I wouldn't be strung out or doing, like, nothing crazy. Like, you know, I, but I just know it would be really, really hard or tough. He was definitely the God sent hand that kind of lifted me up and all of us. How did you meet him? I met Yams on the train and he was familiar because I seen him around and I was like, what up? It was just like a head nod, what up? Like I wanted to talk to him or say more things to him, but I didn't know him. So, And then later on, it, it finds out that we have the same friends and like I went to go hang out with like Bari and Ills and Yams wound up being in and I got introduced to him and I finally got a chance to say hi, <laughs> like a real hi in the conversation and we started building from there. Yeah. What kind of guy was he? Yams was very quiet. He laughed a lot. He was a thinker, um, strategist, fun, fun guy. He wasn't like the playboy guy, like with all the girls, and like he'd be like the first dude to be like, "Man, f- them girls, <laughs> let's get to the work, let's let's do this, let's do that." How did you find out that he passed? I got a call from um, Bari, ASAP Bari, when I was on tour with YG. Um, I was in Philly, and it was nighttime. I think it was around like ten thirty. And uh, actually, I got a text from Frank Ocean, and it said, 
man, sorry, send my condolences. And I'm like, I'm lost, really. And um, then Bari calls me like, yo, you know, Yams just died. And I'm like, what? So it all made sense, like what Frank was talking about. And then, um, yeah, I kicked everybody off the bus. And like, I didn't even tell the guys because I didn't know how to tell them. I didn't know how to tell my friends that I was on the bus for for about like a half an hour to 45 minutes. Like I ain't say nothing to them. I just went to the back and thought to myself. It was crazy at that moment, but then I was like, man, I told him it, it, it would happen if you continue, you know what I'm saying? Like he was like really abusing himself with like, you know, the, the drugs and everything like that and really going hard. You know, it just took him. Like, I remember having, like, one last conversation with him. The last conversation that I had with him, like, on the phone was trying to get him to come move with me and, like, how he was going to work out and how he was going to get his brolic as my Uncle T-Nice and how he going to do his push-ups. And, and I remember telling him, I was like, man, we, we, we can't have no deaths in the camp, man. We got we to gotta straighten up. You got to drink this this alkaline water. Like, we got to go in. He's like, yeah, man, we going to do it. Like, I'm going to move in. But, like, you know, Yams want everybody to be happy. So it's just like, I knew he wasn't really, you know, it's like pulling teeth to get him to do anything. You know what I'm saying? Like, you would think he's in the Bronx with his mom, but he'd be in London. You know what I'm saying? With Skepta in them or something like that. So he just, he just all over the place. How did it change the way that you thought about your life? Because he had been such a, you know, he was the person who, as you said, connected this group that changed everything for you. Um, I would say it just basically, it just let me know to keep doing what I was doing, honestly. It wasn't like, it was like a, a wake-up call or nothing like that because I was, I was never the type to go hard with drugs or nothing. Like, I'd never been addicted you know what I'm saying? Never smoke cigarettes. Like, I'm not that that person. But it just let me know, like, you know, it could be all taken away from you. And it's still so surreal to me, like, when I think about it. It's, it's just like, damn, like, for real? Like, you know, like, prodigy passing today. And I'm thinking, like, damn, like, he was here, and now he's not here. I still think of, like, I still I still think of yams like that. Like, he was here, like, vibrant, like, the birthmark, the swag, everything. And it's just not here no more. I want to play a really happy song of yours. <laughs> um, from, your last, from your last LP, Always Strive and Prosper. Um, strive? Strive with, with Missy I Elliott. love Strive. Scary, my life vision was blurry. You got talent, why you here? I'm thinking, yeah, plus I am getting the belly. I remember mama screaming, you ain't gonna be like your Uncle Terry. Uncle Terry on the corner selling rocks. He don't I heard, when I heard that record when it first came out, I thought, what? ASAP Ferg made a full-on house record. Right. 
you're from New York. You're not from Chicago. <laughs> How did you end up making that record? It was something I felt, man. Like, I made a record uh, when I first came out before I got signed. I made a, a song on uh, Bob Sinclair's World. Hold on. Like, that beat was crazy to me. Uh, I grew up, like, hearing Crystal Waters and and things like that. You, As a kid, you hear things and, you know, it gets into your body and your vibrations and you never know how it's going to come back out. So I guess that's my way of it coming back out. Did you record that song uh, with Missy Elliott? No, I didn't record it with her, but I had um, a chance to meet her and that was the first song I ever played her. And um, Timbaland introduced me to her and 30 seconds into the song, she stopped the music and she was like, Timbaland, this is the music I want to make. And that lit my whole body up, warmed my heart, melt me down because I was like, man, this is my icon saying, saying she want to make music like this. And I was like, please, could you bless this? And she said, without a doubt. And, you know, I played the same record for Madonna. Um, Madonna called me in to work on her album. You know, the song that I did for her, it, it didn't wind up making the, um, the cut, but um, I got a chance to play her some music, and that was one of the songs she said she loved. And um, I was just thinking, man, if I could have got Madonna and Missy on the same track, that would have been crazy. <laughs> yeah, I was working. I cannot even imagine standing in the studio with Timbaland and Missy Elliott. How could it ever get any better than that? Man, you tell me. <laughs> and then meeting um, Jay-Z the next day, you know, and having a conversation with him and me telling him, Timberland last night told me that you put him onto my music. That was crazy. Timberland, t I asked Timberland, yo, so how did you discover me? Like, how did you hear my music? I'm a very humble cat. I'm not assuming that everybody knows my music. I still introduce myself. Hi, I'm Ferg. You know what I'm saying? I'm not full of myself. But he's like, you know, we were sitting here one day, me and Jay-Z. And I'm like, Jay-Z? He's like, yeah, we was just going through your videos and listening to your music. And I was like, whoa. And then having to see Jay-Z at Kanye's uh, fashion show the next day, Yeezy season one. Asked him, we spoke about the whole thing. He was like, yep. I was like, wow. Now, I feel like it's it's one thing for an MC to come in here and tell me how much they love Missy Elliott, who's a great MC and right. such a brilliant, amazing performer. Right. Not that many folks come in here talking about Madonna. I love Madonna because Madonna was a movie. You know what I'm saying? Madonna, for the culture, she just... You know, when I, when I think about Madonna, I think about, like, Grace Jones, Rihanna, like, these strong women staples in the game that just dares to be different and dares to be themselves, really, to be unique. And that's what she was to me. She was artistic. She is what you see in Lady Gaga and what you see in Riri, really, you know, at, in, in her time, like dating Michael Jackson. Same person that dated Michael Jackson, dated Tupac, and dated Basquiat. Like, come on, that where's her head at? You know what I'm saying? Do you think about the fact that when you're an entertainer, especially in hip-hop, the peak of your career has a limit to it, that there's going to be a part of your life. I mean, you will always make art. Yeah. But 
there's a point in your life where you'll be Big Daddy Kane in 2017. I'm, I'm sure Kane can still write a verse. Um, Shout outs to Kane. Yeah, I mean, one of the greatest of all time. Man, me, for me, I don't think so because, like, you know, I feel like I'm just now starting. I feel like a new artist. Even though I've been out for a long time, you know, a lot of the years was, like, you know, playing Passenger Side with Rocky and, you know, with the mob. And, you know, you've seen Ferg with the mob, but Ferg by himself is a whole nother person. You know what I'm saying? You get to dive more into that character of who Ferg is. So we got to get through that first. And then secondly, the entrepreneurial side, you know, the clothing lines, the, you know, um, the lifestyle, you know, other things. I'm into culinary arts, not me cooking, but like just into, you know, the whole art of it, into art, painting, you know, um, curating different events. So it's just, it's a whole nother world and I could dive into different parts of my brand as I get older, as I see Dr. Dre doing now. You know, he's going to live forever. And you you see uh, Jay-Z doing it. You see Diddy doing it. And these is like, these is who I, these are the people I look up to when it comes to colossal empires and, you know, uh, their legacy living beyond them. Well, ASAP Ferg, thank you so much for taking all this time to talk to me. It was really great to get to meet you. Uh, likewise, man. ASAP Ferg, everybody, from 2017. His newest album is called Floor Seats 2. It's got features from people like Tyga, Nicki Minaj, and Diddy, the one and only. I don't care if you're white. I don't care if you're black. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created out of the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California, where after much consideration, I decided to buy a French door fridge, even though it does not fit into my cabinet. I'm going to have to move a bunch of stuff around and there will not be a water line to the French door fridge, but a family of five deserves space to store their yogurts. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. No relation to ASAP Ferg. Jesus Ambrosio and Jordan Cowling are our associate producers. We get help from Casey O'Brien and Kristen Bennett. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme song comes from the band The Go Team. Thanks to them and their label Memphis Industries for sharing it. Now is a great time, of course, to buy any kind of music to support musicians who can't tour, but... Uh, the Go Team are a particularly wonderful act that we hope you will run out and, and buy some records from. If you want to hear the latest about what we are up to, you can keep up with the show on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. We post our interviews there. And I think that's it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. NPR.